Hello and welcome to the Hapori podcast, the show for and about doers. I'm Rob Solly. On today's show, I'm joined by Amy Laithwaite from The Stretch Experience. So through my study of that contemporary dance, I started to notice how different it felt when somebody said push, reach versus send. Amy is a Canadian presently residing in London and she's been a coach of mine for a year now and basically during the first session with her I have my mind blown. I've learned so much from Amy that I apply to my training and my coaching and today I want to talk to Amy about the magic she creates and hopefully she'll sprinkle a little of that fairy dust into your training and teaching. But first, let's answer some of your questions you've been sending in using the hashtag AskHaporiHelp. Over to you, Mike. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing good, good. Mike. How's your week? It's the same as every other yeah. week. Seven days, rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh, you get seven whole days. Oh, wow. Yeah. How'd you manage that? Um, well, I, I've been listening to this band, they're called The Beatles, and they had eight days Did in they? a week. Yeah, wow. I need to borrow some of their magic next. I could use some of that. Up my game. Uh, so, are you ready for your questions? I'm always ready. Okay, question number one comes from at Jack Ross. He wants to know, what is your biggest gym fail? Oh my God. Biggest? Mm. The, whole, the whole spectrum the whole career. is a, whole the whole career. career is a gym foul. I actually probably can't pick one, which is, I hate not being able to answer questions, but I think this comes into a bigger thing that I'm, I'm prepared to fail in the gym quite a lot. I'm prepared to take risks. Sometimes I will go into try and find a little room out of people's way just to uh, take those risks so I don't fall flat on my face in front of people. And that may be metaphorically as well as <laughs> literally doing that. But when I learned to juggle, I would just take myself away until I was very, very slightly respectable or on that path. So there's numerous gym fouls and I don't, nothing dangerous, like you're not, no, you're, well not, you're not lifting too much. And then, well, that's, that's what I'm going to come to. Uh, and those right. gym fouls don't matter. Gym fouls that get you injured, they matter. And pride and ego can come into that. And I think it's really worth bringing in a great trainer called Eddie Cohen. And he's many, many people consider Eddie Cohen the greatest power lifter of all time. Now, he was talking to uh, Professor Stuart McGill, and they, they, he's a great back specialist, and they would have a good relationship. And they agreed that whenever Eddie Cohen set a PB, or which were quite often world records, that was it. He wouldn't even add another nugget that day. So when he was in competition, they may say, oh, I'll give you another 5,000 pounds or $10,000 to lift more. He'd say, no, 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 no. I've hit a PB. I'll come back and do that next time. And I think that's a, a really good lesson to training. So quite often if we just say we're bench pressing and we've got 20s either side and we make it to 22 and a half either side, perhaps let's leave it to there. Let the adaption take place. And then we'll go for that 20, 23.75 or the 25 either side in a later date. And so the gym foul for me and where I have fouled is injured and I've, I've got injured and it sucks. And because I know it sucks, I really don't want it to suck for my clients. Well, I was going to say, so I guess a, a sign of a good trainer is that you don't push someone too far. You got to learn what their limits are when you first meet them and you get training and just, you know, if they can only do 99 burpees, just stop at 99. Don't make them do that 100. Yes, exactly. And, and one of the things that, you know, 
there'll be people out there that completely disagree with me on this. But one of the things I think is really important is when the technique goes, it's over. Louis Simmons used to say, lose your chest, lose the squat. Louis Simmons is probably the greatest powerlifting coach of all time. Lose your chest, lose your squat. And that is in everything. So the minute that, that technique starts to crumble, I personally don't see the point because you're creating load in someone with perhaps weak foundations. That doesn't mean you don't challenge them, but when you lose the technique, where are you as a trainer with responsibility, with duty of care, and then perhaps you just regress the weight or something that, you know, find something, if you want to keep it going, drop it in some way, shape or form, some form of regression. Good stuff. Question number two, you ready for it? Always. Okay, at Ian Fairfield, who's your biggest influence then? So maybe going back to the powerlifters or? No, because I'm not really a powerlifter. Look, look at me, I don't look, I don't look very powerful. Um, you my, can lift me up, I think. Uh, yeah, m maybe put you yeah. on my shoulder and do a few squats. Um, and if there's a fire in here, don't worry, I've got a fireman's carry. I can. I was thinking more that when we go to the pub, you can carry me home. All right, okay, yeah. I hear you, I hear yeah. you. You can have baby shams tonight then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say my biggest influence was my Taekwondo coach, Grandmaster Frank Massar. I met him when I was 14 at a completely impressionable age, and he just transformed my life. But my biggest, you know, that's my biggest influence as a person. I've had loads of other great trainers and gurus and we could nail them off. But I was actually just thinking about this as I was, say, as I was answering you. Maybe my body is my biggest influence because in the way it's going and, and I had to go to the right and go to the left and go forwards and go backwards, get bigger, get smaller. It's taught me a lot. You know, people say, listen to your body. I sort, I sort of get that. I'm not so in tune with that. But my body is a good teacher and I don't ask, I always do things that I've done before I pass them on to other people and I will do, you know, courses and things that may not have value to me. For example, my knees are okay, but I might be looking at doing the knee over toes guys work and stuff like that, or the, something called ATG group. And then I see what I can take from that and draw that value and put it into, um, you know, my teaching and coaching because it might help other people who have those issues. Good stuff. So if people want to get in touch and ask their questions, what do they do, Rob? They hit the hashtag, ask Hapori help, or they can always Instagram us, DM us. This podcast was brought to you by the Hapori Coach app. If you're a personal trainer, then you know that time is money. That's why the Hapori Coach app was created, to help coaches manage their businesses better and to support growth and longevity. The platform makes it easy to onboard and train clients, manage your sessions, keep track of finances and take automated digital payments. Plus, your clients will love it as they get their own app to accompany their training with you, tools to track their progress and an easy, seamless way to help them manage their bookings. So if you're looking for a way to take your personal training business to the next level, then Hapori Coach is the perfect solution. Check them out at www.hapori.com and enter promo code PODCAST50 to get a 30-day free trial, 50% off your first year and 10 completely free professionally designed health and fitness ebooks to send out to clients and prospects. 
That's some serious value there. So go get over to hapori.com today. Today I'm joined by the amazing, amazing Amy Laithwaite from The Stretch Experience. She's been a teacher of mine for about a year now, virtually. So Amy, The Stretch Experience, for me, it was a bit like the Jimi Hendrix experience. It sort of blew my mind. Tell me exactly what is the stretch experience and why does it blow people like me's minds? Oh my. Um, so the stretch experience, I think, thanks to COVID, now has these kind of two arms. Um, so the stretch experience in its like infancy in London was basically me and my stretch table. Uh, working one-on-one -on -one with people in assisted stretching. When you met the stretch experience, we'd gone online and had started this new project called Guided Stretching, which effectively works in the same way a yoga class works. I demonstrate the stretches and you do them. And yeah, that's kind of the basics. You sort of say that, but yeah. <laughs> it, it isn't quite like that. Like mm. it has the same procedure as mm -hmm. a yoga class as in mm -hmm. you're the teacher <laughs> and I'm the student doing exactly what you say, but yeah. your language, the actual stretches we do, the way we even do our breathing, obviously there's tons and tons of breathing in yoga, yeah. but the way we do our breathing, for example, like we might have, have our legs to one side <laughs> or something like that, but you've, you've really helped me understand where my rib cage is in space yeah. and how to really breathe, perhaps in positions that we aren't always in. Yeah, definitely. So I think that you've really hit at the heart of what has become the most fascinating subject to me. And this is how uh, the position of like our bony position, right? It's not just about rib cage, of course, one bone moves and they all move in symphony, um, but diaphragm function and position and how this impacts our movement, our ability to breathe. Um, and so, this has like become a, a personal obsession. Um, and of course that bleeds out into my work. Um, so. And is that fixing people? <laughs> you know, are, are, yeah. we, are we all better from an experience with Amy? Oh, I'd really like to think so. <laughs> I mean, definitely sometimes we have some experiences where, you know, people come in and they're not moving very well at all. And after a stretch, you know, the next day, it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally somebody, you know, wakes up the next morning feeling like they've been pounding it out at the gym. Um, so the the response from assisted stretching can be, you know, there's a huge spectrum of, of how you can feel after a stretch, but generally speaking, you know, the, the goal is always to improve mobility and improve um, embodiment. You know, I think it's so funny when you think like how to sum up your work, but I think that's really what, what it comes down to is helping people understand their bodies and how to use them fully you know and that comes right down to you know are you aware that you're not actually exhaling and that's something that can be improved in just about everybody we meet i think we all have an idea of what stretching is just about I don't, i've never met somebody who says oh i don't know what stretching is everybody has a preconceived idea of what stretching means um, and to us stretching means working kind of in some ways from the outside in, right? So we, 
start and whether this person is on the other side of the camera through a screen or whether I'm touching them, they're on my table. We're working with kind of starting with global movement, um, introducing the full joint range, the full potential of the body and in its current state. Um, and then, you know, as somebody starts to move and they recognize uh, degrees of sensation and particular restrictions or how things vary from one side to the other, then we can start to kind of pick apart what's working really well, what, what needs help. Um, you know, so it's an exploration, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. mentioned two, you know, your two branches. Mm. So we've got, we've got the, all got the idea of the yoga kind of yeah. sense. It's not <laughs> yoga, but we've no. got that idea, you know, like we worked virtually. Mm. So can you tell me a little bit more about assisted stretching? Yeah. You said to me once about everyone needs a little bit of decompression. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, tell me about it. Yeah. I'm a very compressed person. I need, <laughs> I need a lot of, there's a lot of, space to find in this body <laughs> and you helped me find it so Aww. what what led you to what in your history in your in your backstory led mm. you to sort of assisting people to stretch and if you could just mm. just a, a sentence on what assisting stretching is Ooh, a sentence um i think at its heart assisted stretching is me as the therapist taking your body weight so that you can actively release a joint to allow me to mobilize that joint for and that's you. That's a really good one because again when I first actually had that I knew you for a little while then I <laughs> yeah. first had that experience and you're like you're like give me your arm yeah. give me your weight and I'm like I am and then you're just like no no give it to me more and then you reached out your own arm mm. and let me hold that and I was like it felt like I was carrying like <laughs> like a weight bar or yeah. something you you can give me your weight really easily but I couldn't give yeah. you my weight yeah so I think that for us in our brand of assisted stretch, that is, I think what makes us really different um, is taking the time to teach people how to do what I've just started calling this active release. I don't know if anybody else has like TM'd that or not, but um, it's a way of describing what we need you to do, which is to very consciously make the decision to deactivate around a joint and around a specific joint. Um, so of course, because you're lying down, you can actually let go of just about everything at once. But um, we want you to really zero in on the joint that we're mobilizing. And what that, what that does is force you to focus very, very deeply. And I think that's where, um, you know, when you look at kind of what, what is it that we're actually doing? I think we're teaching people how to relax. Yeah. We don't know how to relax. Well, guilty. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, you know. You know, I, and I think it's funny. I, th I mentioned this in one of my posts recently about like, don't you find it really stressful when somebody says to you, relax? And you're yeah. like, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> yeah. how? Well, that, it's the idea of like, I always think I'm tired. Yeah. I'll go to bed, go to bed and then sort of just sort of lie there for a bit and go, <laughs> you know i was tired 10 minutes ago what's happened in this but clearly it's that ability when i lie down just to to let go to relax to yeah. to be at mercy to go into something as simple as going to sleep yeah to give yourself to gravity give yourself to gravity right yeah. and that i think that really does come down to our ability to focus and this is where for me there's a big crossover with meditation so you know i'd have to like go digging to find the study but i found a study that looked at um, people doing, you know, in flow states, 
um, people doing something kind of similar to assisted stretching where they're focusing on a particular body part like in yoga they call it yoga nidra so this act of like contracts contracting and releasing various body parts um, these the the brain waves are fairly similar in all of these moments and so you know for somebody to come in from an urban setting into a space where they're being required to meditate in a really kind of formal setting I think that there's like a chasm between those two places so I like to think of an assisted stretch as, as a stepping stone that you know it if you were interested in meditation that perhaps you could use assisted stretching to help you learn how to fully become present and get your brain and your body in the same place you know but even if you're not planning on meditating that this is going to give you some of the same benefits just this you know an hour on the table actually looking inwards using your interoception and listening to the sensations in your body and hopefully not judging them I hear. <laughs> so, um, yeah. as you know, like I'm a big fan of yours, and I, you know, I try to do as many classes <laughs> as I possibly can. Like, you know, it pretty much is. Oh, Amy has a class. I better go do it. <laughs> but um, how did you? I want to explore in a second your mm. use of language. But how do you? How do you know so? How do you know so much? How? How are you? Why are you different? Wow. In, and we're talking right here a bit more like on yeah. the, the online kind yeah. of thing. Okay. You know. Well, I mean, I think like I'm going to be 39. So just having a few years under my belt is really mm -hmm. helpful. Looking um, good for it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of wonderful teachers and that I think this um, kind of community of people that I've been lucky enough to fall under um, and then great friends who are also working in the industry. I mean, I've learned a lot from you. We, we have to we have to keep it an open exchange and just continue to collect information. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think the, the specificity in the language, that really comes from my dance background, but, but the kind of breadth of knowledge. And is, what is your yeah, dance background? <laughs> um, so I started dancing, well, I was taking class, like I went to ballet class at four. I mean, it was just a lot of skipping around and having fun, but uh, that's kind of when the obsession started. And I did. And how obsessed did you get? Oh, just just blindly obsessed. I had I had no time for anything else. I just wanted to be in the studio. Um, and was ballet your thing? Ballet was absolutely my safe space. Um, jazz, like I always enjoyed the other, um, the other disciplines but I think ballet was just like the intensity of it I was just obsessed by and there was something really yeah I honestly don't know what it was that caught me about the classical work I think partly that was my teacher I had the right teacher um, I had I was in the right school I was in a small kind of conser conservatory style school um, and it's, it's funny you say that yeah. because <laughs> To bring this back to me, mm. <laughs> I, I started. I was. I was just like I'd seen the Karate Kid and all that malarkey, and and probably lost a few too many fights at school. And when I started karate, I was the most enthusiastic in the room. But it wasn't until I found the right teacher yeah. to channel the energy that I had that I really kicked on. I was a headless chicken before that, <laughs> and and it comes back down to that value of what we're doing now, coaching. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. It matters. It matters so much that the vibe is right. Um, you know, and that's why I'm so excited about like growing what we're doing at the stretch experience that, um, you know, I have a wonderful uh, kind of team that's starting to grow. And 
um, we've got people who are working with a couple of stretch therapists now and it's so interesting to hear them talk about the different kind of vibe and flow in our work it's all the same work but it feels very different with different hands um, and that's just I guess that's the beauty of life isn't it it's the and we mentioned yeah. language mm. and you mentioned language yeah so um, it's so simple mm. I you know this is one of the things that's for me really different about yourself from yoga I start I first went yoga in I think 2006 mm -hmm. and you know I've sort of done it ever since off and on but you really resonated with me and I, I knew that probably within about 15 20 minutes of the first class I was like oh this is the person who's gonna really help me and some of that was because in yoga I always feel that uh, a lot of the yoga teachers have learned uh, these these set moves mm. but we sort of go exploring a bit more you know which sort of comes in you know in a bit more of the training mm -hmm. uh, you know like um one of my coaches I used to, well, not a not personal coach but someone I used to look up to was Dr Kelly Starrett mm. and he always used to say let's hang out here for a bit and I always liked cool. that yeah. expression yeah that we're we're not going to sort of sit still and just breathe we might wiggle a little bit to our left wiggle a bit to our right yeah. But even in the class I did of yours, I think it was uh, two days ago, mm. we were we were in like I would call it a sitting tree. Okay. Yeah, you got yeah. you got me. We're sitting down. Yeah. And um, rather than going towards the leg that's elongated in front of us, we went towards the bent leg. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I was yeah. just like, oh, you know, for all the yoga classes I've done, we've never done that, and it actually mm. felt pretty good. And mm. it's not like I'm trying to uh, discourage or dispel mm. yoga, yeah. but there is something about the language that you use, um, which I just I just can't communicate mm -hmm. how good it is that I've never experienced in any yoga class. That doesn't mean that the, the person isn't a great teacher, that yeah. they can't flow, yeah. but it's that specific use of language where somehow you say to me, let go of this muscle, and I get it mm. straight away. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe that's like a vibe thing that's... <laughs> Maybe you just we have, with it. We have a special... No, you and me, Rob, maybe we have a special Well, no, connection. I think... I remember there's other people out there yeah. in this class. I think... I'm yeah. pretty sure that's pretty yeah. universal. So that um, that comes from a very specific place. Um, so the, the Alexander technique is something that... And this kind of flows back to my dance training. Is Alexander technique a part of dance? So Alexander technique is not... Uh, specifically a part of dance it's its own uh, body of work um, but the language in Alexander is very very specific and I've done work with a group called counter technique um, which if there are any dancers out there I highly recommend um, well really any people I mean my hope one day is that counter technique um, expands its reach to help regular humans move their bodies better. And is counter technique a technique it or is. a yeah, it's a training technique. So, um, you know, much like, like, I don't, I don't know, kind of, I mean, these are pretty like dance specific things, but uh, Martha Graham and Lamone, like the, the kind of foundational teachers of modern dance, um, you know, those are household names now, um, kinda much like Pilates, right? Yep. It's, these are teachers who created uh, methodologies, curriculums, and started teaching teachers. So counter technique is, just kind of one of the more new bodies of work um, created by, uh, you know, a woman who's still dancing, Anouk van Dyke. And they basically, she started working with an Alexander teacher to blend 
some of those concepts into counter technique. So through my study of that contemporary dance, I started to notice how different it felt when somebody said push, reach versus send, right? Like you actually start to experience the, the texture of your body. Language is so powerful and, and right down to our cells. Uh, and right? that's, that's it, exactly. It. You, <laughs> yeah. you know, I never feel that we're sort of saying, and fold. Mm. Fold always seems like we're pushing something together. Yeah, there's exactly. That, and that's, that's exactly where <clears throat> yeah. that would be a very common word and term yeah. in yoga. And obviously it gets yeah. you to where you want to go in that move. It definitely but, does. But there seems to be a lot more reach. And <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna to give two, an example, hopefully, yeah. to, the, to the listeners of, of your language that I really like, mm. and we've come to this before, and that's mm. stir and cook. Yeah. And I always think of stirring <laughs> as moving. Yeah. You know, we, you know, you might say move that broth or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. As you know, it never sound husky. I don't know where that, <laughs> that came from. But but cook sort of means okay, we're going to spend a bit of time here. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it never feels like you've planned those words. Mm. It just feels like that they've yeah. come out. And um, yeah. I suppose what I'm trying to like communicate here to the to the ether mm. is that language is a really powerful tool and if you can say the right things to people in the training environment yeah. you can get a lot more and they can feel a lot more connection and investment in you absolutely and i think that comes to cueing right like if i said to you squeeze it versus sense it right what that very specific language you know i'd like to think that there aren't any like words that you would never ever 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 use right we've got a multitude yeah, you don't of really choices use technical words no and that's i mean that's an interesting one um there's some really interesting like science on using metaphor in teaching um so they've looked at a really great study looking at teaching children teaching adults and teaching professionals so if you're teaching a group of professionals this study would encourage you to avoid the use of metaphors so you're dealing with people who have uh, a working knowledge of their anatomy and a very sophisticated uh, approach to their craft, whatever it may be. That person isn't going to respond as well to a metaphor, whereas um, children and then adult learners, they tend to get a lot out of metaphors just because of where they are in the learning, right? They don't have yeah. that very specific idea. Kids in particular are so much more creative. So a metaphor won't be such a barrier. So I think just given my audience is mostly, um, you know, people who sit at desks all day doing other things and then they come and they just want to move and feel um, that the use of metaphor and staying away from technical stuff that is kind of alienating is, I think, just a, a, a more fun way to work. And it is. Yeah. And I really, really, really enjoy it. And I just feel like a lot of people would say, hey, right, how are you? Mm -hmm. Let's get going. But you sort of say, hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. This is what we're going to work on today. I want you to understand this. So yeah. even though the rest of the language for the session is completely normal and anybody can walk straight in and get mm. it, at the beginning you're giving us priceless nuggets of knowledge that when I'm doing these stretches yeah. 15 minutes later, because obviously you're not in the room, I can go, Oh yeah, it's that. And you know, yeah. you might say you might refer back to. Do you remember that little diagram? <laughs> the buttocks were the buttocks were serrated this way, yeah. or or whatever. Yeah. And this is where your pelvis is. Your ribs are in space. Yeah. We've looked at them top down. <laughs> you know, all these all turned these it all things. around. Yeah. Where did that come from? Ooh. Um, I, again, that harkens back to my dance training. So, 
I, you know, I went through a great program as a teenager. Um, and, you know, I can remember my teacher talking about muscles and we would look at diagrams and all this stuff, but maybe it's where your head's at, right? When you're a kid, you just want to like crack on, use some of my adopted language. <laughs> um, yeah, you just want to do it. You don't want to talk about it. Um, and then you turn 20 and your body starts to fall apart on you <laughs> and uh, you realize that you really need to is that understand more. That is personal experience. Well, really for me, it was like 14 when I started to have pain. 14? Yeah. That's very young. Yeah, it was very... Um, is there is there, an act, you know, like, is there an actual background to that? Was it just too much dance or mm. did you have anything sort of anatomically? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was training a lot and I think... Uh, well, as like my scans would show, I have apparently an abnormally narrow spinal canal. So when I got a little herniation, um, it was causing a lot of nerve problems. Um, you know, whereas, you know, the surgeon said, oh, this on somebody else, they wouldn't have even noticed it. But mm. it was just a combination of that, like little anatomical. Um, where did that leave your dance? Um, I did have to take a year off. Um, at 15, I had surgery and took a year off and then... Um, and is that the kind of surgery they would still do now? You know, I, I really question that. I mean, the first one was done with, you know, I think what could be called a light touch. They tried to do as little as possible. They didn't fuse anything, which, you know, if I, it had been 10 or 15 years sooner, they would have been fusing my yeah, yeah. vertebrae together. Um, which is a horrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as, as I, yeah. We, we sort of know now, it's, it's, it's funny sometimes when I come across people with, people with back problems mm. and that and you're like and they're sort of saying oh this happened to me and I sort of think oh that's 20 years ago yeah. I'm not a surgeon <laughs> you know and I'm not really qualified to talk about this yeah. but I know that probably wasn't the right thing that's happened to you yeah. but it's it's hard to say I mean I think I, I did everything I possibly could to avoid surgery with you know and I did what I could with the knowledge I had at the time isn't that like how we mm. let go of things that were painful right you just have to look back and go well that's that's what I knew at the time um, you know, so the cortisone injections and all this stuff and surgery yeah, is where it ended up. Something associated with footballers coming towards the end of their career. Exactly. That yeah. Yeah. Not, not a kid. Um, but, you know, funnily enough, I think it's the fact that like I, I had a second surgery after. So I finished high school and then, you know, I, was, I got back to dancing after that first surgery and was dancing full time. And so 20-year-old Amy, yeah, dancing? Yeah, um, moved to Toronto, went to the National Ballet School there. So with 20-year-old Amy, <laughs> yeah. is dancing. Yes. Is she happy? Yeah, I you mean, know. kind of, I, I was like a typical 20-year-old tortured artist. Um, I was dancing and teaching and... Uh, I mean, I loved my program. I was so lucky that the National Ballet School in Canada has the most unbelievable postgraduate program. So how are higher, you know, for someone who, mm. like me, yeah. who's dancing really starts and ends with Strictly Come Dancing, yeah. <laughs> you know, their knowledge, yeah. um, how, where are we in the scale of in the, the In the ballet? scale of things. Well, in Canada, the National Ballet School is kind of our, that, that's our national training facility. And that's um, the so highest that's, level. Yeah, that's kind of akin to the Royal Ballet or... Okay. Um, so I was very, very lucky to be there because I, you know, I, there are lots of reasons why I shouldn't have been let in. But um, uh, it was it was a wonderful experience and we were able to train at a very high level. And at the same time, I was able to do my pedagogical studies and get a teaching diploma, which really everything centers around that for me and the 
the teachers there, it was so fascinating. I can remember one of them coming back from an exchange with another school in Cuba. And he had come back to Canada. And, you know, in Canada, we had this very, um, and it's interesting because I can look back on it now and really see it and having years of teaching behind me, this attitude that nothing should be approached unless the students can do it really well almost right away. So it's a very kind of uh, slow training program and, you know, we work very methodically and the kids don't do any wild technique, you know, and it's really about foundation first. And one of our lovely teachers came back and said, you know, I've just been in Cuba and like my world's upside down because the kids are, you know, doing backflips and turns and all this crazy stuff Mm. and they really work from uh, just allowing the kids natural instincts. I mean, I mean, of course, the training is flawless and the dancers are so exciting. Um, and it's a very athletic. What I know about Cuba is a very athletic, particularly at that very, child level. Oh, yeah. They're wrestling, they're boxing, they are the tumblers. They're you know. so embodied. Yeah. So embodied. And it was just very interesting to see him coming back, wondering if any of that could be implemented in Canada, where I, I think, you know, attitude and, you know, when you talk about coaching and teaching people, like even my transition from Canada to England has been really interesting. You know, when I first started doing this work, I would get somebody on the table and get all this noise out of them, you know, <laughs> like Wind? good noises. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, just noises. Their tummy. Happy noises. Happy well, I mean, noises. I mean, you would say the Canadian people more reserved? Um, no. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Unhappy noises. No, I mean, what I mean is that, like, I was getting expression from people just without having to kind of draw it out of them. That, you know, somebody on the table, you stretch them and they go, you know, or that feels fantastic, or, oh, that really hurts, or, um, you you know, whatever that natural response is. is. Like they, they take a lot of they take a lot of tension to hold them. Yeah, yeah. So so that's I've come to England to try to shake loose all those stiff upper lips. <laughs> well, you're doing a very good job. Oh, thank you. Not a, not a problem whatsoever. Yeah. So where do we take the stretch experience forwards? How do we mm-hmm. how do we reach a bigger audience? I've I've said this to you before, and this mm. is a conversation we're having. I personally feel that every yoga teacher I've ever had could really learn something from Mm. you and I don't think there's anything wrong with their practice again just to step outside to step back in yeah just like we said about the Cubans yeah it's such an important point that we we often stay within our lanes yeah um Mm. so you know like why do you think a yogi or or some you know yeah because we've already Mm. explored the you know the people who are tense you know maybe Mm. maybe I'd like I always wanted to get more young athletes stretching or my friends who play football who have hit 30 and Mm -hmm. you know constantly getting calf strains or whatever (laughs) you know have a stretch and what they think of stretching yeah um they will gravitate towards yoga yeah but there's something else out there for them how that's what I'm trying to say how (laughs) do we how do we steer them and say okay there's yoga and that would be great but it's perhaps not as specific yeah you know, and again, it comes back down to the, the way you communicate that will be in that stretch that, I, you know, I wish, you know, I wish we had a little video here and I could, <laughs> I could just sort of say, you don't know how many times I've done, whether that be an internal rotation of the femur, mm-hmm. and then you will just say, push it out a little bit. No one's ever said that to me. And, you know, like when I've, when I've then given that to people, they're like, oh, this feels great. I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> why, why don't we know this? Yeah. So why don't we know this? And how do we yeah. get them to know it? I, you know, I think yoga is fascinating. And it's something that, um, you know, when, when there's a little bit more 
<laughs> I've got a lot of things to study that are kind of next for me, but at some point I'd really love to do a full yoga teacher training just to understand more about the practice. So just, just to your point of like, you know, you've taken that internal rotation, it's the exploration of where to go from there and what to do as opposed to just sitting in that position. Stir and cook. Stir and cook, baby. Stir and cook. It's my obsession with food, Rob. <laughs> I just always want to be stirring and cooking. Somebody who's gravitating to yoga because they need to get more flexible. I mean, this is, this is a little bit scary to say this, you know, hoping that it won't be, I'm just hoping this yeah. won't be taken in the wrong light. Um, you know, and anybody who really disagrees with me, I'd love to have a conversation about this. But personally, I think if somebody's experiencing pain, um, you know, and they're not already doing yoga because they love doing yoga. I mean, it's yoga classes are beautiful. They feel fantastic. But let's say you're a footballer and you're getting ankle strains, calf strains, that to head for a yoga class, you're not going to find a yoga class that covers any functional anatomy. You need to understand how that joint works. You need to understand the force transfer, how that fascia through the back of the yep. lower leg is responding to and responds to other parts of the body. You need some information and you need quite specific targeted stretching. So A, people only have so much time. So you're gonna to go to yoga class and stretch everything. And that's exactly, I think it's on people. This is, there's nothing wrong with yoga. And I no. think this is where what we're trying to say yeah. is nothing. I, you know, I do yoga, so yeah. you know, I would be yeah. crazy to sort of like go, but it's us, mm. it's us as the public going, yeah. Oh, I've got an injury. Oh, I've got this. Oh, I'm mm -hmm. getting older. Where mm -hmm. do I go? I go. I go to stretch that. I go to yoga. Yeah. Yoga doesn't advertise that it will do these no, things. No, no. And really, you know what? I really it, here's the bit that I wonder whether this will be controversial or not. I think if if like yoga versus stretching could be clarified for people, and I could kind of put the general population into two groups. We've got our slightly hypermobile people. You know, they would be a better category of people to put into yoga class to help them stabilize and strengthen. Very true, a lot of isometrics. Right, that I think a lot of the yoga poses, like if you think about your downward dog, for instance, for me, that's a rest. That's my yeah, chance. Yeah, it is, it is in that classes in right? yoga, that's, Well, as I, I understand how. that. Like, and then if for ages and they say to me, this is rest, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, so this is, this is information that I have picked up from being in yoga classes. So I'm learning this as a student from, you know, I've, I've heard it from enough teachers that I feel comfortable saying, I'm pretty certain that downward dog is approached as a rest. And if you can confirm that, I think that's, yeah. I feel safe enough going on that. Right. So that would be my litmus test to somebody trying to decide whether or not to do yoga is if that position isn't a rest for you, that there's probably some preliminary stuff that you could do first. That would mean that when you get to yoga class, you'll have a good time and it'll be a lot more effective. Yeah. Yeah. I was found like, um, <laughs> well, you know, this is, I'm, I'm expecting like a, a a crowd outside. <laughs> not, not, not at all, because like you know, like I, I'm, I know loads of great yoga teachers, and they're awesome, and I would recommend people yes, to them, and I go yes. to them, and so it's awesome thing. Um, I think sometimes it's just our associations with things. Mm -hmm. For example, I would often turn up early at yoga to have mm. a stretch because there's certain things at the beginning of the yeah. flows where, I, like, my lower back touching my toes is my lower back just doesn't want to move. Yeah. So I would go and warm up and people like, you know, wait, they were sort of waiting for the class to start. Yeah. And again, that's not in the teachers. The teachers were always mm -hmm. like, love that you warm up yes. and you know, move and that, but everyone yeah. else would be looking at me going, what's, what's this yeah. daft ass yeah. doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. When I think this, for me, I think with my background, the concept of like linear movement 
you know, that's the classical form. It's all about geometry. And there are certain pathways that you follow and certain pathways that you don't. When I teach a stretch class, this like desire to help people explore a full joint range to like fill in all those blanks. You know, if I think about my arm as a flashlight, that I would want to move it through a range of motion where I have illuminated every corner of this room and allowed that joint to move independently and then also with all of its um, counterparts to allow the whole chain to move. And this, I think, is something that we don't, there's just isn't space for that in a yoga class, right? Yeah, and it's not just, it's funny. <laughs> Forward, sideways. <laughs> I, I've obviously brought the, the yoga reference in. I've referenced it a lot of times, yeah, but it's also yeah. very true of when I do gymnastic training, mm -hmm. gymnastic classes. They're all very, this is what, I, what I'm really trying to communicate and I hope I'm getting across is, it is, from my point of view, who's been around training since I was 13, yeah. There is something quite unique, new and fresh to what you do. For example, as you were just sort of swinging your arm in the yeah. room, if we were to swing our arm in, um, in like we do in a handstand class and gymnastics for handstand class yeah. prep, yeah. you know, it's nothing like how you do it. You're sort of like really dropping the shoulder, trying to touch the floor. Yeah. So there's there's not just an arm swing. You know, we've got the the scapula going mm -hmm. up and down. And, yeah. I remember you saying, rub the wall. Yeah. yeah rub, you know, all these, yeah. come and lean on the wall. Yeah. You know, honestly, what you do is brilliant. And I hope that we're trying to explore and just communicate some of that amazing stuff. Because <laughs> unless you, it's called the experience. It the is called experience. the experience. You've got so to unless experience you experience it. it you've got nothing. You've got nothing. Anyway, anyway <laughs> so let's, let's, let's ask a really important question. Oh, God. Okay. When, when you're training. Yeah. If you was to pick one tune, that tune to work out to, you know, you need that little bit of inspiration, Amy. Yeah. What's that song? It's Missy Elliott, Lose Control. Missy Elliott, Lose Control. So Mike, <laughs> if we can add that to our, our, our playlist, please. Missy Elliott, Lose Control. That's, that's Amy. Put that on. You start doing star jumps. <laughs> <laughs> Just lose control, baby. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and is there a film that you like to watch? Ooh, um, yes. I very recently watched um, Dead Poet Society for the first time ever. I, I have realized my penchant for, um, I guess, slightly vintage films. Yeah. Well, something that vintage. Like, I remember going to cinema isn't to it, see that. Isn't it vintage? I don't know. <laughs> It's well, 90s, I know, it? I know. You know, yeah. I, I met Robin Williams one day oh, when you? I was 11. I think I was 11 years old and he was filming Jumanji down the street from my house. Oh my God. And Jumanji is like, you know, like people around me right? love Jumanji. I, I've actually never seen it. Put <gasps> out there. I've seen the remake. Oh no. But I knew, I knew that you were going to say Dead Poets Society, hence why we're mm. recording this in a, in a lovely library. I it's, thought, it's you perfect. know, yeah, let's have some yeah. philosophy. Can't think. Yeah. But how was Robin Williams? Did you did you shake his hand? Um, he gave me a hug. He gave you a hug. He Even better. One up. Yeah. He was he was um, walking down the street with the crew carrying a ladder, singing hi ho hi ho, and my friends and I went over and asked for a picture, and he put his arms around us. He always and, yeah. He always comes across <laughs> just like. You know that if someone could be your the best uncle yes, ever, yeah. or your granddad, maybe yeah. even your dad. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just yeah. he was one of those people that just yeah. Wow, you know, yeah, what a person. Heart. So yeah, big loss. Amy, big please tell us your socials. Where oh, you know where where people can actually come see you as well. So we have a lovely studio uh, in SE One, 
Yeah. Sorry, I, just, so I was like, it's a Tower Bridge. Is, Thank you. you know, it's yes. right by Tower Bridge. Yeah, we're yeah. at the south end of Tower Bridge um, in a lovely little gym there uh, called the Circle Gym and Spa. So you can come and find us there. Yeah, and I can honestly say to people, you can actually go there yeah. and you can feel the weight of Amy's arm. <laughs> you can. You, you can be stretched and it is uh, quite an experience. Like you are just moving there moving the body decompressing yeah. and you just go out you feel like about an inch and a half taller and this isn't alone you know because yeah. I obviously know other people that have been to you yeah. and they all say like you know I went in at five foot seven I come out five ten and a half yeah you know I, it's a like funny little anecdote from the first my first training in stretch therapy and they measured everybody at the beginning of the course and by the time we were done most of the guys in particular were an inch taller that's it. Yeah, That's it's just it. decompression and it's position, right? Yeah. Yeah. You should. We should market this to fifteen-year-old boys. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them that you, you'd yeah. have a cue. You'd have yeah. a cue. And and obviously, um, yeah. and on social media. Yes, on social media. So we are on Instagram at the Stretch Experience. Um, I I don't Twitter Twitter. I don't have That's that right. one. In, Instagram's enough. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. You're you are so a superstar. Welcome. Thank you for sharing this, but also thank you for improving my lodge and helping me out. You know, you've really, really helped me understand my body. I've had loads of craziness going on after being compressed, genuinely, through yeah. sports, through life, yeah. uh, through picking, deciding that MMA was something I wanted to start for 10 years at 30. Um, you know, what you do is pretty special and you are pretty special, so thank you. Thanks, Rob, it's been an honor. Awesome. Mike, that's Amy Lathwaite, your fellow countryman, or woman, I should say. How did, yes, how did you think that went? I got a bit homesick there when I heard the accent, eh? Well, you know, like, her voice is sweet music to me, you know, and I hope that there was some value in there because I think the fact that she's actually stretching someone, she's actually taking their weight, and at the same time she's teaching a more traditional stretch, whether that be like a dance stretch or a yoga stretch. She has these two sides which cross over. In my sort of experience, that's a little rarer. Yeah, I was well impressed that she made it into the National Ballet in Canada. She was at the top of the training in Canada, so it's quite amazing, that, and then just gave it up to stretch people's arms right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know, that, that doesn't surprise yeah. me because that, that attitude, we talk about doers, mm. that's doing, and she's just applied the, perhaps the, the discipline, she's yeah. applied the discipline and the attitude and the mindset that got her to the Royal Canadian Ballet mm. into being a great trainer, a great coach. And I can't stress this enough to people. She is great. And what do you think is the, the main takeaway then from that chat? that crossing over, yeah. crossing over. So if we're doing yoga, or we're a dancer doing a stretch class, what can we step outside of that and learn to make yourself better for yourself and for your students to make your teaching better? You know, it isn't just a case of, oh, can we feel that stretch? What, it, what is it? And, and I said it a lot in that interview, I asked her a lot, language. Yeah. The language, somehow she manages to tune in and I'll be in a stretch and she will just say something that literally gets me another 10% out of that stretch. And that's what we want, maximize the training, maximize the results. And that leads me nicely into... Solly's Soliloquy. Practice. Practice is the art of doing something regularly 
or repeatedly to improve your skill at doing it. It doesn't matter who you are, how talented you may be, to be successful, we've got to practice. So let's take Ronaldo, practice. LeBron James, practice. Serena Williams, practice. Dina Asher-Smith, practice. Presently, I train several successful and popular singers, and they practice their craft religiously to not only stay on top of their game, but to see if they can reach new heights. Embrace the word practice in your training and coaching. So stay focused, aim for quality, and let's go practice. We're gonna take on the world. That's the show. The Hapori podcast was presented by me, Rob Solly, and produced by me, Mike Hansen, for Pod People Productions. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends about it. If you want to follow Amy on Instagram, she's at The Stretch Experience. And you're at? At Pop People UK. And I'm at Rob underscore Solly. And Hapori is? At Hapori Coach. And Hapori is? Maori for Community. Maori for Community. So that's the show, and we will see you soon. Bye.